Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I've been eagerly anticipating the interview with this amazing woman today. I'm interviewing Nancy Gowan from Gowan Health, Gowan Consulting, and I've known her for many, many years. And she probably doesn't know this, but I always founded her to be a leader in her own right. She's an amazing occupational therapist, but I feel like she spearheaded her services and went into so many different directions. And I've always seen her as a leader, a clinical leader, an entrepreneur. She has a infectious personality. She's easy to talk to. She has a great laugh. So Nancy Gowan, welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. Thank you so much, Deb. It's really a pleasure to be here. I feel blessed to be in your company. Well, you know, you probably didn't know the, uh, the, the love and respect. I hope you did when I was case managing, but I watched you from afar head into several different directions, and it's been really neat to see you grow as a woman and a clinician and an entrepreneur. So I want to dig right in. And my first question is, when you finished occupational therapy school and and got your degree, did you see yourself out of school with the vision of becoming an entrepreneur or what was kind of your thought leadership back at that time? Um, I think, you know, as any graduate, uh, there's always confusion. My passion was always in the area of helping people to be healthy and productive at work. And so I don't know that I, Felt like I was going to go into my own business um, until uh, later on, but I watched a lot of great leaders uh, lead their companies and thought, you know what, this is a, a great opportunity. And I have four sisters and we actually are all entrepreneurs. And so I guess my family, my has, um, brought me to being an entrepreneur. Um, My parents encouraged us. They were farmers and entrepreneurs. So I think it maybe is in my blood and came out as I was had the opportunities. Well, I can relate to that because my dad was also an entrepreneur. And I think we, we learned the work ethic of, of hard work and tenacity and to never give up. And, and it's definitely a transferable skill. Now, 
I know that you have, I'm going to say gone far and wide with your services within your business. I know you've offered accessibility. You have kind of spearheaded early intervention and return to work. And I know there's that alignment with vocational rehabilitation. You've done ergonomics, mental health, traditional OT services, as well as training and consulting in the workplace. So share with me where this menu of services kind of derived and how you expanded your business model. So right out of school, I had the opportunity to work for DeFasco, the steel company in Hamilton, and um, again, built my passion to be able to be in the workplace and helping and supporting people to stay at work. And so that was... um, the start of that passion and that work. And I saw the opportunity to really look at overall function of employees and it includes all those things. So every person physically, um, emotionally, spiritually needs to be supported uh, to be fully productive and functional at work. So as I worked at DeFasco, I had a great leader, a Dr. Gibson, who um, mentored me to be able to look at what could I do differently, how could I look at health differently, and it was a time when there was a lot of change at DeFasco, and so we worked together to develop a change management program, and he just um, supported my I guess my ability to be a bit of an inventor. And then I moved on to work with uh, great entrepreneurs uh, with ARI, uh, Jamie and Joanne uh, were wonderful in being able to support my ability to just kind of build and grow and see what else I could invent um, and ensure that Individuals had the support that they needed to be in the workplace and be healthy. And I, I guess as I worked with different employers and different um, employees, I was able to really see that um, the right employer with the right um, mindset of supporting their employees, of supporting what they needed involved the need to look at making the workplace accessible, looking at prevention services like ergonomics and mental health, and looking at that whole trajectory of early intervention, return to work planning, and coming back from very difficult life challenges. And so, as I worked with different employers, it allowed me to. Um, see that there was many opportunities to help employees to be successful in the workplace and how occupational therapy could fit into that. And I, I think one of the things, and, you know, Deb, you saw this a lot probably in your vocational rehab days, of the challenges of working within different systems and um, how it's important to be able to look at um, at helping an employee to function no matter whether they're paid by WSIB or paid by 
an insurance company or an auto insurance company, that there is that foundational, you know, how do you support a person to live their best and most meaningful, productive life? And so that allowed me to just um, grow the different opportunities in terms of offerings that we could do to help the employee to be more successful. And I, I know you navigated those systems very well and it's challenging. And I want to talk to you about that because not only did you kind of spearhead with your own business, but you've also done a lot of writing and publication. And I know that you co-authored a chapter on ergonomics and disability management, because I remember reading it. And then I also purchased uh, your book that you published, Human Resources Manager's Guide to Managing Disability in the Workplace. I want to talk about the, the second book and the barriers that come within the med rehab industry with aligning HR and disability management. I always found as a case manager, that's where my leadership was needed. It had nothing to do with all the schooling I'd had or my specialty, whether it be brain injury, spinal cord injury. It was my emotional intelligence that kind of bridged that gap. Tell me kind of your thought leadership around writing this book and why you saw the need to do so and how you've really, I think, put an imprint in the HR world as it relates to managing disability. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, Deb. And I know writing the book was, I guess, one of those things that um, allowed me to put to paper what we've seen in the industry, that um, many organizations um, don't necessarily have all the pieces to help fully help an employee to return to work. So I had decided to put a book together that would cover everywhere from the preventative, the early intervention, and the return to work process and put some of the tools that I found were successful uh, to paper. But I think one of the things you're, you're talking about is uh, it is about being able to communicate and bringing all the stakeholders together to understand uh, each person's needs and each person's um, abilities to be able to meet those needs, what the business needs and what the employee needs, and being able to figure out the best approach. Um, but being able to help those stakeholders to come together to really what's most important, which is helping an employee to be able to be successful in the workplace. And so a lot of that involves coaching the managers on how they can approach an employee to um, have the right structure, the right successes for the workplace, um, coaching the employee on what tools they can bring into the workplace and how to ask for the help that they need. And also looking at the other support services around to be able to utilize those support services to help an employee to um, really bring their best selves to work. So that emotional intelligence, um, I guess, grew 
as I had the opportunity to work with unions and work with um, different adjudicators, different case managers. And I learned a little bit in each of those areas that I thought would be helpful to bring to paper and might help others to create uh, the right space for um, supporting stay at work and return to work. Uh, it's definitely a huge undertaking. And, and the bottom line is, you know, that thought leadership, bringing the foundation of the communication, that emotional intelligence, those soft skills, that heart-centered leadership that you possess and exude so well. And, and, for, and for the listeners uh, who may not know, occupational therapists are uh, regulated healthcare professionals and they utilize evidence-based practice and research, scientific evidence, and a holistic perspective to promote autonomy, independence, meaningful occupations, and really, like Nancy's alluding to, functional ability to fulfill their activities of daily living. And there's so many different areas that OTs go into. And I know Nancy and her company, she's got uh, quite a staff of OTs uh, that are providing services in different areas. So Nancy, I have to ask that burning question. Share with us uh, some of the challenges you've had since March 11th with COVID. And had you had to transition your services to be more digital health? Or how have you been able to kind of hurdle some of these barriers with the pandemic? Um. Well, thanks for asking, Deb, because it has been a challenging time for everyone, I understand, in this process. It's that grieving and loss process. And um, But yesterday, we met with our team. We had a virtual retreat with all of our team and to kind of come together after three or four months of COVID and really look back on what did we do and, and um, what did we learn? And what we really learned, and I, I said to them, I said, I'm thankful for COVID. <laughs> um, and that sounds pretty terrible, but it, it's wonderful because what it allowed me to do as a business owner and a, as a leader is to stop kind of that treadmill and to be able to stop and say to my staff, we're going through very unprecedented times. What can we do? And I have such an awesome team that they all pulled together. And we were able to spin as occupational therapists, we go into the workplaces to be able to do our ergonomics or to do our support for accommodation, to do our assessments. And so being quarantined obviously got in the way of that and so our team quickly came together and looked at what can we do virtually um, what technology and we are not um, really good at technology as occupational therapists that's not necessarily our expertise but all of our team worked together to find the best tools to be able to look at um, creating virtual opportunities to do the same work. So we went to do virtual ergonomic assessments and we've been doing that actually into the US for a couple of years, but we 
um, made that more wholesome for our Canadian clients. We uh, investigated ways to do cognitive assessments virtually. And we also um, worked with our um, amazing customers to be able to say, what do you really need right now? And how can we help you through this process? So many of our customers asked us for virtual training for their employees on understanding worry and uncertainty and understanding how to um, still be productive in a remote workplace and how to set up your home office. And, you know, one of our customers was in the midst of, had, they had to purchase 6,000 laptops and change their technology. And so we worked with them to be able to look at what's going to be best for your employees when they work from home. We put together sessions on managing parenting and work together, how to make your remote workspace uh, work. And from a stress management mental health perspective, really helped them to have their managers as well as their employees have trainings on how to have really good conversations about what's, what they're dealing with and learn that what's really important to help employees to still be able to um, look after themselves as well as be productive. So we, we've spun a lot of services to become virtual and we see that over the next 18 months, this may be something that um, we're going to need to continue to do, but it also added for us an extra offering that um, allowed employers and employees to have the tools to talk to each other about what they need and um, be able to stay, you know, adjust the accommodation tools that they might have already had in the workplace into their home and stay productive. So it's been um, very, uh, it's been wonderful for us to be able to do that, but it also as a leader, has allowed me to see in my team such amazing skill sets that on a day-to-day -day basis, I knew they were already amazing, but they stepped up to really support our organization to continue to develop and to grow. And I'm just so thankful for that team. Um, yesterday, we were all together in the retreat and we were laughing, we were crying, we were thinking about what could we do next and it was just no one in that team said I'm out they all just said we're in how can we help and I just am thankful and blessed to just have such an amazing group to help us to to have gotten through this so far and continue I know that I they've got my back and I've got their back to continue into our future so well, and that's, that's a beautiful testament to your leadership, for sure. Um, you just segued lovely into one of my favorite topics, self-care. I have interviewed many people in the last month, and I will allude to you that all of the leaders I have interviewed have pretty much said the same thing as you. They have liked COVID, and we'll, we'll put this in, a, in context here, it allowed them time to pause. It gave them time to breathe. It gave them time to do a little bit of audit, a little bit of dreaming, a little bit of strategy. 
and how do we do what we do, but make it look a little different because we have to now. So really comforting to hear that. Um, I experienced a very similar thing. I had to cancel my women's self-care conference this fall and we were doubling it this year, Nancy. We were uh, 50% sold out on the pre-sale. Just super excited because it, it was evolving and growing and more employers were sending their staff. And what I love about COVID is my executives and my C-suite leaders are not only seeing that it's fundamental, it's necessary, and it's really predominant for them to model and show their own self-care. And not all the leaders I've interviewed have done that. And when I made the transition from case managing to coaching, I wanted to be on the prevention side, not the generalist side anymore, because I was sad having executives and C-suite leaders on short-term disability claims. And I know you and I share that space. And I wanted to get to the root of how they got there. And I can honestly say openly that a lot of them shared with me toxic environments, uh, negative culture. And, you know, leadership really starts from the top down. It's not necessarily the bottom up. And that's a question that can really get into a big debate. But the self-care piece is so, so important and vital because it only takes one person not to model it. And I think you and I grew up in a time where stature was about how hard you worked and our health took a back seat and exhaustion was kind of, you know, what you'd wear on your chest as the level of success. We're not in that space anymore. And I'm quite happy to say I'm not in that space. And I think having this time since March 11th has made us more aware, more astute. And I think it's going to allow us a bigger space of mindfulness to help employers, especially be a bit more benevolent. So what I want to ask you with that is, I know you do some work uh, in mental health, uh, in the workplace. What do you foresee as a challenge as companies are starting to reopen and transition back? I, I see a concern in my own coaching business of employees, I think being scared and fearful and, and apprehensive to go back. And how do you think, what would be a strategy that you would recommend or foresee that you could help or share with the listeners uh, some insight, some foresight from your clinical perspective about going back to work? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. And thank you, Deb, for the work that you do on self-care. I think that um, you've done an amazing job in building that um, so many people to recognize the importance of self-care. Um, we've actually done a lot of thinking about this return to the workplace and the um, mental health impacts on employees. And it's actually um, leveled the playing field for a lot of people in understanding worry and anxiety because we're all, it doesn't matter our status, we're all at that same place of we all had to be 
quarantined and locked down and um, things beyond our control that impacted us. And what we've seen is employees with that have felt safe at home are now saying, am I going to be safe going back into that workplace? And have they really thought about my health and safety? And I'm going to go back to that, you know, um, gerbil on the wheel kind of, or the treadmill or whatever we want to call it. And that fear of going back to the old. And I think the one thing that I would say to leadership is to not go back to the old, to recognize that employees are grieving an old normal, that there is that grief process, that overall loss, and people are really have lost, you know, what's the meaning of work and the meaning because they've found other things through this process. So it's almost like what we've done, Deb, for many years is developing a return to work reintegration process for employees to meet them where they're at, to really listen to their concerns and try to get clarity, um, listen with curiosity to understand what they're thinking and what they're dealing with. And then being able to problem solve together to say, what would be the best way to come back into the workplace? Um, what do we want to take with us? And what maybe do we want to leave from our old normal? And how can, what have we learned to be able to grow forward? And I think one of the things is, you know, starting with that conversation. And for those who are coming back, making sure we're really clear on what are we doing to support employees from a health and safety perspective um integrating them back by you know what have you uh, what have you done in the workplace to change things so that people can feel safe and asking them what else they need to be able to come back and be productive and a couple weeks ago, I was at um, South Lake Hospital doing some training with uh, their staff, um, their managers, because they were concerned that there was, there's so much um, of the essential workers that are there, but those that had been at home had more fear of coming into the hospital than those that were in the hospital every day. And so recognizing that fear and worry and being able to develop a good graduated return into the workplace, coming in, having a coffee with you, socially distanced, of course, um, being able to say, you know, what else do you need here in this workplace to be successful? Um, those people that can work virtually, continuing to have them kind of work virtually for a while while you've working out all the kinks in the systems and also recognizing that they may not have the supports in their home so the child care issues um, there's not camps and all the things that they signed up for 
to support their children. So how do you support employees who have children, who have elderly parents and they're concerned about their health issues? Uh, so I guess my main, my main advice is be kind of open to a really good conversation with employees and do it in a non-judgmental way because we're all in different places in our stages of change for this and find out what they need that might be best um, for them and for the business in coming back into the workplace. So those organizations that say, we're safe, I've told you you're safe, you're coming to work on Monday, will probably not have the success of a, as a manager who might say, you know what, we're, here's what we're thinking, this is how we've developed some processes, do you have any questions? And we've had some good organizations who have even put together you know, Q&A sessions with their employees to answer those questions before they've come into the workplace and your employees will probably know more about what they need and what's going to be good um, to help them to be productive than one manager might know or one business owner might know as I've relied heavily on my team to help me as well so well and it's it's um it's heart-centered leadership you know it's it's what you said that attentive listening is is only going to open up a relationship that's going to have attributes of being benevolent and, and wanting the well wishes and, you know, being able to step into that employee's world and see all the challenges that you mentioned. And it's going to be an interesting time, but when you lead with heart-centered leadership, you're certainly going to have a supportive team because you're choosing to foster and mentor and listen so I want to have some fun with you now, and I'm going to ask you my fab four. And I know OTs are methodical, but there's no thinking here. You got to just tell me the first thing that's on your mind, okay? So here's, okay. My, fir here's my first question. What's Nancy's favorite hobby? Well, it's changed since COVID and I've taken up golf much to my husband's uh, delight because he's been trying to get me to do that for a number of years. And so now my favorite hobby is golf. So hopefully he's not listening because then that means that uh, <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot of golfing. So we'll, we'll make sure he gets the link to this for sure. Benevolence, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that that was a wise choice then. Yes. <laughs> now, you know I love self-care. What is part of your daily self-care regiment that you do to refill your cup and give back to you? Yeah, and I think that it's a combination of things. But I love my mindful walk in the morning that it's um, a way for me to just start my day fresh, remember to breathe, and kind of set my intentions for the day. And so I really appreciate that time as my time to fill up and get ready. And then at the same with the end of the day, 
um, just reflecting on what I'm grateful for. I love the five minute journal that that's a beautiful app that just reminds me to be have gratefulness, gratitude, and appreciate my blessings each day. Well, we're very similar because I love that journal. I've been using that journal for four years. And as a yoga teacher, similar morning practice, setting the intention. And then the end of the day, I do a very similar thing and almost we had to give it a title, give it, uh, call it like a decompression, just a reflection and breathing solves a lot of problems, doesn't it? Just those six deep diaphragmatic breaths, you can solve a lot of world problems in 90 seconds. Absolutely. My daughter is just doing her yoga training and so she's teaching me lots about the breath and the importance of that breath. It is. It's, it's phenomenal. So my third question is, what advice would you give to the younger Nancy? Um, I think my advice would be, uh, don't work so hard. Look after yourself um, so that you can look after others. I think it took me a number of years to get to that point to be putting myself in a place where I could be first. Um, and also just really follow your passion. And I think I got the opportunity to do that. Um, so just go with that and things will be great. And because you're an OT, I have to, I have to ask you this question. You always talk about happiness and productivity. So what makes Nancy happy and productive? Uh, I love to just collaborate on new and different ideas. And so that makes me happy when I can um, help um, and work with uh, an organization or my team to invent something but to really collaborate and listen so that makes me happy and passionate and yeah I think that's that's what I really love and spending time with my family that I also through COVID got a chance to have my family all with me so realized I really you know have lots of lots of great times and great memories to create together. Well, I have loved interviewing you. I am a big, big fan and will continue to be and just keep being the heart-centered leader you are. And thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you, Deb. It's been a really a blessing and a pleasure. And um, I look forward to your virtual self-care conference that you're going to have, right? Well, I, I created a online course, so I'll, I'll follow up with you on that because I had so many requests. So we will continue that conversation. I want to leave uh, you and the listeners with kind of my five things that I think is uh, a nice way to lead through life. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thanks for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.